And so I think to your point, the, the challenge with so many organizations, whether cybersecurity professionals or non-cybersecurity executives, they see that if I'm just compliant with uh, NYDFS, I'm good. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Jeff Hancock, Deputy CEO and CISO for Access Point Consulting. He's the former Global Director and CISO over at Worldwide Technology. He is also a Senior Fellow and Adjunct Professor at George Washington University. He has held various C-suite and executive roles at Verizon, CGI Federal Advanced Technology, Microsoft, and Advanced Security Group. Uh, as you can tell, this is another guest on my show who is well-credentialed, has been there and done that. Um, so he's well-established, yes, but there is more. Jeff has also been involved in the creation and maintenance of NIST CSF, uh, the cybersecurity uh, framework that we all know and love. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go out there and say that there is more CSF compliance, more programs run under that framework than any other on planet Earth. And, and I think that's partially because it's a good one, partially because it's a big one, but also partially because it's a free one. Um, <laughs> The version we've all been operating on for many, many years now is 1.1, and uh, 2.0 has been quasi-released. They released the first draft. They did the seeking uh, public feedback phase, and uh, that phase has come and gone, and so soon we will see an official and done CSF 2.0. So I guess my first question for you, Jeff, uh, before I say thank you for coming <laughs> on down to the ranch. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I listen to your show every time you release one. So I really oh, appreciate that's awesome. all the work you've done. I for appreciate the that, man. And I, yeah. I get so excited. I dive into the topic sometimes and forget the niceties. That's on me. Bad host, bad. <laughs> no worries. Uh, but my first question for you is, uh, what's your history and your relationship with CSF? Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So I live out here in Virginia, uh, not too far from DC, DC or the swamp or whatever you'd like to call it. Um, as a result of living that close you know, you get to know, especially the length of time I've been in cybersecurity, you get to know a lot of different people. You're a lot of different working groups, that kind of thing. So in this, the fall of 2012, uh, a friend of mine uh, who was working in the administration at the time pinged me and said, hey, look, I need you to look over this draft. Uh, we're putting together an executive order um, on cybersecurity, yet another one. Uh, but we want to we take this one in a different direction. We want to actually make it operational. And that was a phrase I was and I still beat the drum on, you know, operationalizing security nice. instead of just another policy piece, which is great to look at when you put it in the wall, but it doesn't do anything for you. Right. Um, and, and they really wanted to uh, make this a different policy, uh, really wanted to apply it to industry. So myself and a handful of a couple other people worked with Mike Daniels and team uh, and helped draft, did, went through a couple of drafts, I should say, um, of the executive order 13636. It eventually turned into that in February of 2013, I believe. Okay. Um, and from there, you know, there was pretty tight timeline, like within 240 days, you know, get a recommendation together within a hundred days, 140 days of this release, you've got to do these other things. So as a result of all that, the money essentially from the government to set aside to do this and that activity, <clears throat> Adam Cedric was asked to lead that charge. Adam Cedric from NIST, he's still at NIST, great guy. So what they did was they put together five workshops over the course of about nine months all around the country. Uh, we gathered 1,187 pieces of content, and that could be an email or 15 pages. 
I think somebody, I think the longest somebody sent was a, a Word doc with like 40 some pages of what they think it should look like going forward. Just it's complete, complete, like scratch, starting from scratch out there grabbing this idea. Well, how do we do this? Right. So started with an idea factory. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there were so many people involved. Um, NIST actually consulted with a smaller group to help kind of facilitate these workshops around the country, but they gathered all the data and then they had to parse the information on all. And some segments of us, of the group who was volunteering, was able, were able to review, asset, assert, determine, strike, whatever the case may be, some of the right. feedback. Um, all that got called down into uh, a draft that was you know, initially put out there in April. And then on every April of that year of 2018, 13. And then every month or so before the next workshop, they'd have a new update. Hey, everybody do this. Hey, take a okay. look at this before you come to the workshop. Right. So it was really tightly run. And I, I really appreciate Adam and the management team to really focus on getting that much content. Cause again, it was open to everybody. Hey, if you want to contribute, come to our workshop or email us. <laughs> like, right, so right. that's a Everyone's ton of content. Got an email on their mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just sort through all this stuff and actually make progress within less than a year. Yeah, they did, they did a really really good job. So that was my initial foray. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. That and that became one Yep, yep. That was the first version, right? So I think that really, to your point earlier that you made, it's free. Um, there is no. And I, I tell you, as a side note, that was a one of the biggest topics of conversation in all those workshops. Was hey, NIST, the government cannot mandate this. We will absolutely re- refuse to use it if the government mandates this framework. Oh, interesting. Because with that man, with a mandate comes audit, comes fines, comes mm-hmm. all these other things that people have to deal with, and no one wanted to do that. Okay. So, uh, which I completely understand. There was a fear of the government overreach. You know, sure. You know, way back sure. when. So, as we developed that, right, everybody started getting more comfortable with their feedback of, of why we're doing this and what the focus was. And a lot of people, when you they think of the NIST framework and they think um, it's just like. Uh, PCI. It's just like HIPAA. Right. right? But they, but it's certainly not. It is absolutely not. Right? PCI is scoped information on a server, financial data on a server. Yeah. HIPAA is just healthcare data. The CSF is a much more broader, non-technical um, architecture for organizations yeah. to do that handshake, technical to business handshake and what that looks like. So yeah. Important uh, for people to realize, I think. So. I love that. Okay, so you were there before 1.0 was even 1.0, and then obviously you've been involved in the um, in the public drafts and the feedback and all that. So, what was your what was your role with 2.0? Were you were you part of that feedback chain? Because I'll be I'll be honest, just total transparency. Saw they the request for comments, got all excited, downloaded it, got busy, oh, yeah. missed the deadline. Yeah, um, yeah that was yeah. my story with 2.0. Yeah, so I think they they. Uh, after <clears throat> something I started in parallel with a handful of people over at CIS, actually, uh, Center for Internet Security, was started creating the crosswalks. Yes. So what everybody's very familiar with now, you see the NIST crosswalk Excel doc that says, here's the framework. And, oh, it's tied to CIS 18, 853, and, you know, 17 others. So the team started developing that in parallel just to kind of prepare for and see what maps, what makes sense from the CIS. Then it was a CIS, CIS 20. Um but that, that mapping started happening in parallel that first year. Uh, so as that grew, uh, I started after it was published, after the, the CSF was published, um, I started getting organizations requesting help. Like, how do we implement this? Why is this valuable? How is this different? How is this not different? So the first year after that, it was published. My, a lot of my job was to go out and work with CISOs and CEOs trying to understand and re-explain. It's okay. It's, you're not going to get fined. Right. No one's going to hold you accountable. 
Um, it's important for you to do. Here's the business impact of this. Here's the technical impact of this. Here's why you should do it. Right. That kind of thing. Uh, and that finally started taking off, but in parallel, getting that, that crosswalk, those crosswalks done was a great thing because it started clicking with people, the value proposition. Then a couple of years later, 2017, 1.2, right. The, the second phase, I forget what we'll call it now was released with some minor changes, nothing major, but this one 2.0 represents the biggest seed change since the, since it was created. And I think it's, I think it's the right thing to do. My concern is it's just a lot of data. It's a lot of new data, right? So, but it's very important to, for people to look at this way. It, with the governance category, is just it's it was designed to start being that that overarching. How do we coordinate all these spinning plates and communicate it to a particular way? And as you pointed out earlier, I think in our other previous conversation, the stakeholder. I'm looking at the list: stakeholder, mission expectations, uh, legal, regulatory, contractual requirements. More the business impact. Yes, which is what we yes. really wanted to define. So, well, and that, and that to me, I, I love that you expressed the very first one, even as the handshake between business and technology. It's a, it's an architecture. People, people bandy about the word framework casually, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I say that because I think framework means more than one thing to more than one person. I, I, I think framework is a catch-all bucket that we throw a lot of things into. And architecture would be a subset of framework. Um, yep. You know, model is a subset of framework. Um, yep, exactly. You know, how Great to point. guide is a subset <laughs> of framework. Like, so a lot of people say framework, and, and they may mean one of these different facets. So, so to me, I, I love that it's an architecture that 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 meets, you know, it, it, that dictates that area where technology meets business specific to cybersecurity need. Right. Like, I think that's that's probably the best summary I could give of what it is. Um. So the role of frameworks in cybersecurity, you know, the, the biggest hurdle I have in being a champion of CSF or CIS or whichever one I'm waving around uh, is you get, and it's funny, it's almost always our own camp. It's not the client. It's not the CEO <laughs> or the CFO or the COO who says, but but compliance does not equal security. <laughs> it's our own people who say that. Um, we use frameworks as a means of wrapping our arms around the big picture. In theory, everything we're doing can be expressed by a good framework, um, be it, uh, you know, a proof point deployment to protect email or a Sentinel one on the endpoint or, uh, you know, spinning up a GRC team and getting some GRC tool, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think a good framework captures all of those things. And I think if we're doing those things blindly one at a time and willy nilly and not looking at a framework as we do them, we might miss some connective tissue there. What, what's your take on it? Why do we use frameworks in cybersecurity? Yeah, I think you you hit a, your first sentence in this when you just said I think it's a key point. People look at frameworks and look at only a piece of the frame look at the framework and say this is the whole strategy for my company or for my organization and they miss the mark by a mile because there's only a few. So there's 180 some different cybersecurity policies, written policies around the world today. Um these are policies and sub policies, I should say. And I want to emphasize the sub policy piece. You can have a here's a business policy. Oh yeah, because we have to be concerned about cyber, we're going to shove this in over here. Like in Texas, where you are, just this last summer, they implemented uh, a policy for car dealerships. Um, all car dealerships are considered non-banking entities. However, because of that, they have to follow these certain security guidelines and they have to prove that every year. Right, a car dealership, great idea. But see, that's a subcategory within a broader set of responsibilities at the Carly. So there are, uh, of that 181, there are uh, 42 different, uh, what I call, complete cybersecurity frameworks in the world today. 
40 of the for 39 of those are things like PCI HIPAA. They're very scoped in what they mean and what you have to do. People get stuck, as you pointed earlier, people get stuck in that and think that's the whole enchilada that right. you've got to do. And that's where compliance does not equal security is Bingo. a completely valid statement. Bingo, if, exactly. If all you're doing is is following by step by step the framework, like you you have lost something, but Yep, yep. agreed. Agreed. And it can be that, used correctly and, yep. and we bypass that problem altogether. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where uh the 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 ones that aren't that tactically specific are things like 853, which is large and onerous. Uh, a friend of mine calls that uh, academically rigorous, but ha- operationally handicapped. So, it's, and I thought that was a perfect definition. Uh, and so that's that's the big one. But then the CIS 18, which used to be called the SANS Critical 20, which was actually originally called the Consensus Audit Guidelines in 2007, um, that is an operational framework that is that is very different than everything else because it focuses on operations, not compliance. Howdy, y'all. Alan Alford here to tell you about Alan Alford Consulting. After being a CISO five times, I decided to launch my own cybersecurity consulting practice. My cybersecurity career has spanned companies ranging from five to 50,000 employees, with revenues ranging from $2 million on up to $10 billion. I have worked in the cybersecurity industry itself, telecommunications, manufacturing, education, legal, data services, defense contracting, and for a number of SaaS providers as well. What I can do for your organization is to help you better manage, measure, report on, and more importantly, execute on your cybersecurity program. I have helped clients employ cybersecurity frameworks, conduct maturity assessments, develop board reports, and even to draft comprehensive three-year plans with budget and headcount projection to meet compliance and maturity goals. I can help you with anything from an assessment to comprehensive execution. I also offer retainer packages. Find out more at allenalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D. Dot com. And I would argue as well, better suited for maturity than a lot of the other frameworks. It, you know, CIS takes in mind up front the fact that you may be brand new at all this and really are just kind of getting started versus, you know what, you've been at it for a while. You better darn well be further along in your journey, right? Like, like that's one thing I love about CIS, CIS is it's operational and it's maturity aware. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's, you know, the first seven have that layer of this is what you've got to do. And then you, here's what's optional maybe down the path, but yeah. you've got to do these things now because it's just, it's what you got to start with. Um, and so I think to your point that the challenge with so many organizations, whether cybersecurity professionals or non-cybersecurity executives, they see that if I'm just compliant with uh, NYDFS, I'm good. Right. And, and that's where we have to beat the compliance does not equal security drum. Right, right. So when I when I talk to executives, uh, and so I think to your point, the the challenge with so many organizations, whether cybersecurity professionals or non cybersecurity executives, they see that if I'm just compliant with uh, NYDFS, I'm good. Touching on data wise, your infrastructure, you touch on cloud. I said, look, I, I would approach it in the following. I always approach it in the following way: NIST CSF. And that represents the organizational framework of what you want to do, the business to technology handshake that has to happen, helps everybody on the board understand what where they're investing into technology to secure the organization, and the CIS 18, because that's an operational set of process procedures, methodologies that you can use that are technology agnostic, but to your point, drives maturity in the organization. And then from that, look at being compliant with certain data standards and architecture standards, because then it, it kind of quiets a lot of the noise. And the, and the person people I was talking to was like, well, that's, that's a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, 
That's welcome to cybersecurity. Yes, yes, it is a lot of work. There's a reason there are whole careers centered around this work. It's because there is that much work to do here. Um, no, that's exactly it. And I love that model. And, it, and it, you know, it's funny, even with my smallest business consultancy um, with Jackalope Cyber uh, that we've recently spun up, that we, we target very, very, very small businesses and we've kind of commoditized and bundled this sort of, we'll come in and assess you and give you a plan and do it for cheap um, because we know these little guys need help. Um, our lowest level, it's almost exactly the approach you're talking about, but we end up capping at CIS IG1 and we start with cyber insurability as our baby steps. Oh, very cool. You know, but it's very that cool. same logic. Like we want a higher level framework to start dictating what we do and how we do. Yep. But instead of grabbing CSF to start, let's just like, let's look at what the cyber insurance carriers require. <laughs> right. What yep. practices do we need? What what technologies do we need? It's a combination of that business and, and technology handshake because the insurers want to know, are you doing these kinds of things? Do you have these kinds of artifacts? Do you have these kinds of technology? It's, it's, a, it's a lightweight framework. And then we grow them into CIS operationally as they mature. Yep. Yep. Do you um, see, have you talked to your customers about um like the, the use of CSF in that model, like the the business impact, or are they just so small? They're like, yeah, they're so small that CSF <laughs> would just frighten them away. <laughs> exactly. Um, we're, we're looking at really little guys here. We're, we're like hundred employees tops. Okay, cool. Um, kind of kind of shops. So I want to get them to CSF eventually, but mm -hmm. I'm starting them where they can sure. digest. You sure. know, yeah, yeah. But it's absolutely. that same kind of idea that there's a framework matched with an operational CIS that gets them there over a maturity journey. So it's it's the same paradigm, just scaled down. Um, cause they're little. Yeah. that's great though, because your approach builds a foundation. Yep. Right. So, so I'm, I'm taking your approach and scaling it all the way down to those little guys. <laughs> my point is that, you know, cause people sometimes say that CSF is too unwieldy. You know what? The paradigm of a framework matched with an operational to-do list mm -hmm. is still viable even for those teeny tiny companies. And that's yep. the point I was trying to make is, okay, maybe we don't use CSF right away, but, but boy, as that business grows, they'll be ready for it. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Plus it shows some, uh, resiliency, some maturity from the insurance carrier's perspective. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're going to link yourself to this framework. Well, that's a well-known framework, right? CIS. Right. And you're actually, oh, and when you grow, you're actually going to do these things. Oh, like, that's awesome, right? Because right. that, that shows responsibility from the business owner's it, perspective. Exactly. And, and your customers <laughs> like it too, right? The customers want to hear that it's CSF and not, you know, Fred's, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fred's framework <laughs> 1.0. Right. Who's Fred? Oh, this guy we met at the mall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that you just summed up the cybersecurity community <laughs> in some pockets. I'm just saying, I got to say that because it's, yeah, it's been one oh, of those that's weeks. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about 2.0 specifically. Let's get into it a little bit here. Um, the, I guess the main thing is, in addition to identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, uh, we ha now have a new one called govern. So there's now six major functions. Um, that means there's changes to categories as well. I think there's two less overall, but they added some. So that means they dropped more than, than two, and then they added back a couple, not, yeah, not they, quite they, up to that full amount. Yeah. 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 They, they, pulled, they pulled really a lot, of, um, a lot out of uh, identity, identify. Um, and protect and pull that up into and pull that up into govern uh, because it's made sense from a, an oversight and uh, a governance perspective uh, to be able to have that oversight. And that, I mean, when you read through the old, the old <laughs> one dot two, can't believe I'm saying that you can see the there's governance pieces sewn in there. And that was done purposely because we knew that had to happen uh, or the team actually knew that that had to happen uh, at NIST. So I think, Pulling that out and making it its own unique thing is, has been really helpful, really helpful. It's just going to be a little challenging for people as they go into next year, um, looking at all this list, thinking, how do I translate this into my CSF 
modeled for customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the cross maps they've been leaning hard on for all these years. Like there's a whole there's a reboot when you embrace a, a new framework as big and as as impactful and as overarching as CSF. You're embracing a lot of change. I'm assuming the cross maps will be out in time and all that'll happen. I mean, I know there's so many good folks in our industry just chugging away on that stuff as we speak. Yeah, CIS is working on it now. Um, you know, the preliminary, because we're still on draft, but the idea is this will be, last I heard, um, presented before or approved before RSA. And it'll be the RSA, one of the RSA topics. Oh, nice. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the engine they're, they're aiming for. We'll see okay, if that, good. that happens. Yeah. Good. That's an RSA talk that might just spill out into the hallways. Yeah, very much so. All right. So I'm looking at some of our new categories. We have GV.OC, <clears throat> organizational context. I'm going to make some broad statements here. What I like about this is I think the biggest change I want to draw people's attention to is just the governance category itself. Yeah, sure. It, it is so... Um, it's impactful because it helps you manage all the other stuff that you've got to do. And so, you know, as you said, it's the organizational context is key because that, that is allows an organization, whether they're a railroad company, uh, FedEx or somebody else to be able to adjust what they're seeing to their context, their PCI or their HIPAA or their yeah. whatever, right? This might be the thing that lets me bring in my little guys. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's the governance piece that really you've got to have the CEO. And so this, the governance piece, the, the audience for this, if you will, when you look at it that way, like who would be most concerned about all these areas uh, in CSF, the governance piece is CIO, CISO, CEO, and board, right? Because when you look at the subcategories, organizational mission, understood informs a cybersecurity risk management, um, share the mission, share the marketing, the service offering, the strategy to provide basis for identifying risks. So that's really from a business risk category, if I take my CISO head off for a second and I put the CEO head on business-wise, I have to manage a bunch of different risks. And now this falls easily into that risk category with some examples of what I actually have to do. Identify stakeholders, uh, internal, external stakeholders, uh, determine process to track and manage legal and compliance issues. There right? we go. The process to manage that, not, not to manage that and give it to somebody else, but the process to manage that. And so that, that's an important piece, right? Um, because I think that's where it's kind of in the examples, we tried to spell out a couple of sentences per each, as you mentioned, I think in our email earlier, um, really trying to help people say, here's an example of what you want to think about, right? It's not, not just giving off somebody else to go do, you know, to your CISO or, or, or junior legal person, you've got to have a process uh, to do that. Um, Identifying, I, I like this one too, establish a criteria for determining the criticality of capabilities and services as viewed by internal and external stakeholders. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, that sums it up right there. That that right there is the first step all CISOs should be doing always everywhere they go everywhere. Exactly. Right? I mean, that that's it. Let's start with what the heck matters around here, folks. And and when we say that, are we talking about stakeholders, board of directors? Who, who cares about what? Because it may not be the same thing. We need to put that all together. Okay, now we have our list of what we think matters. We, we bandy about all the time the term crown jewels, right? That's a subset of what we're really talking about here. What we're really talking about here is the most vital assets as well as the most vital processes. And this is why when I do BIA, like my BIA, my BIA light that I give away free on my, my website, it, it incorporates process as much as it incorporates assets. Maybe not well. I'm still fine-tuning that tool. Sure. But the idea is sometimes it's a business process that you care about, right? Like, like what if you're a small shop that has very little production because you've got a massive sales force? You, you produce these really discreet, high-end, super expensive widgets, and then you try to sell them. So you've got like 10x the sales force that you do the engineering team. 
you know, simply the ability for the sales team to get communications to the outside world becomes your most vital business process, right? And now exactly. you can ask questions about the technology. Oh, well, how is that done? That's done via email. Okay, how else is that done? That's done via phones. Okay, so we don't want the email or the phones to go down. Now we're having an assets conversation, but it's really about business process. Perfect. That's a great example, Alan. I mean, that that, that hits on it. And that, that was, that's something that in this governance section, really, really trying to drive home is what are the the processes that you want to use to establish your risk management in your organization and how does that play into your business and that was the goal of trying to help uh, before this piece was done it wasn't clear to a lot of people the business direct business impact so the purpose of this is actually to try to you know establish and communicate resilience objectives recovery time for delivering critical capabilities and services in various operating states to your point if i have a sales team who are accessing remote from their home vpn secure network they're using their phones encrypted two-factor authentication all of that supports just the business communication function of what's most important in that data stream and once you start doing that again that's a tactical example but as a CISO, when i started doing that and taking a step back you could see the mapping of how the architecture fits across the organization like oh i don't need to protect everything i need to protect these five out of 15 things at least at first right and then kind right. of go forward from there and, and my my favorite thing to do is to run that bia and then meet with the leaders of the company, like get, get the tool going, get it started, get an example like that one there. We know, we know that in our small business with 10x sales that we have engineering, you know, obviously calls to the outside world matter, communication, got it. Okay, cool. Bring that example to the table and slide a bunch of empty forms around the table. And you tell every leader of every department in that company, what do you think the most important processes are? <laughs> and they all start going and then they start squabbling with each other. And what my calculator actually does is it actually stack ranks and gives a numeric score. Oh, cool. That's the cool. whole point of the tool. And so now you can say as a collective group, the leadership of this company, the collective leadership of this organization has determined that the top 10 or the top five or the top three are as follows, right? And then you get this look around the table. My God, we did just agree to that, didn't we? <laughs> exactly. You know, like, like you've got the buy-in. You've yep. got a, a unified view of the priorities of the business as dictated by business leadership from nothing more than sliding a tool across the table. So, so sounds like my tool is going to plug into 2.0 very nicely. Yep. I, it, it most definitely, because again, as, as people, and this is old school, you've heard this, I've heard this, we've said this ourselves at conferences, cybersecurity is about protecting the business. It's not about protecting technology, right? So Amen. protecting the business of what you're doing, you can't do everything, right? I don't need my guest lobby to have encryption, two-factor authentication and 15 handshakes you got to do just to get your guest lobby access of your internet. Forget it. You've got to be able to, to look at it differently. Uh, and I think this and the governance piece really drives, starts to drive that home. The examples that, that we tried to, that were created here really tried to identify uh, just really simple examples so that the CISO, the CIO can look at this and say, oh, wait a minute, I do that. Identify and document external dependencies that are potential points of failure for the organization's critical capabilities and services. Hello. Okay. <laughs> how, how can I back into this and govern over that? Well, there's a couple of stakeholders there. The IT guys, the CIO, the legal. How do you want to map that to your point? A BIA has to be done. So I think it, it really provides a better uh, – two things. It provides great conversation for the, the CISO to really drive this to be more in control of what's going on and provide – resilience and, and investment strategies and resource strategies to, to move governance down the path. I love but it. then the fruit of that, of executing on these things, is a, obviously a better, more secure organization that has better understanding of what's going on. 
um, in the the very large breach ransomware that happened in Las Vegas. Leave it at that. Uh, one of the conversations that we had with the board, that I had with the board, was around. Well, if we just did this, two factor. If we just did this, if we encrypted, we'd be good, right? And it was never, you know, always coming back to you. No, 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 no. That's just an element of what's most important in your business. What is most important to you in the company? What do you see in the company that's highly critical information? And we went through a little bit, you know, in four, four hours, a short conversation about this. And then it was great information. And then we said, hey, look, you know, just as a observation, you, Mr. Board of Directors, have, hold data for some very, very, very high net worth individuals. Now, if they get targeted because of this breach, what do you think is going to happen? What Now, that data is not necessarily your critical. It's not employee information. It's not healthcare information. It's not, it's uh, not PCI. Access, it's yes. Not, yeah. it's, it's not access to your, your service that control your, you know, your gaming casino. It's the, it's this information It's critically important. And the white, I mean, eyes wide open, white as a ghost. Right. Oh my gosh. People that, worth tons of money can come after us. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it made, you know, there's a risk there, but it's that kind of thing that the governance piece, we hope to, to really get people to talk about and understand there's a, not only an identification challenge, but then there's a who's responsible challenge. Yes. In a lot of these things. Yep. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to pick out. We're going to we're going to pivot out of government for a moment because there was another one that caught my eye. That as soon as I saw it, my heart fluttered, which is ID.im identifying improvement. And I thought, how cool is that? This is once again that maturity conversation we had earlier. Like, if improvement is an official category of identified, then we're sort of acknowledging there's a maturity journey, aren't we? Yes, yes, and I think that's a. That is a key maturity model that organizations, the concept of having a maturity model today is just not uh, well understood, right? You think, again, to your point, it's compliance. Compliance is great. We're done, right? No, no, no. It's a maturity because as the business grows and matures, so should your security. Uh, and I think that's the, the idea there. And this kind of opens the door, I think, a little bit to who, what maturity model? Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon's? CMMI, um, the CMMI, CMMC, COBIT. Uh, right, exactly. If I'm an energy, it's C2M2, right? I mean, it's these other ones that are that are important. But I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, I guess anything that we're gonna see a collaboration of how do we put together a maturity model for security based on a handful of good controls that are gonna be able to help an organization measure and and metric what they do. And yeah. that was the idea. I am was was how do you want to improve where you are now? Yeah. The bigger the fallout or the fruit of this is of that one in particular, um, SEC ruling. Yeah. Right. So you've got to show where you've messed up in the, in the SEC requirements, where you messed up, what you're doing to get better. Right. right. So it's what you're doing to get better. And this, this is what helps. you're doing to get better. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's, so it's going to help with it, it or, or it's going to hurt depending on your, your customer. <laughs> so, so my dirty little trick is I'll go into the shop and I'll find out what they already do for IT. Because oftentimes IT is already further along its journey than than InfoSec is, you know, or or maybe even, hallelujah, the business as a whole has a maturity framework. Um, but you find out very quickly, are you a COBIT shop? Are you an ITIL shop? Are you a CMMI shop? Okay, let's take NIST CSF. And instead of answering yay, nay to each and every one of these controls, we'll just overlay your zero to five on whatever your model is as the answer to each of these controls. 
you 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 don't treat the framework as a binary proposition on on a, on a per control basis. You treat each one as a gradient, and that is something that's never been officially baked in. That I feel like ought to be there because if you if you intersect with maturity that way, you are still one hundred percent adhering to a framework, but you're also able to express growth and journey over time in a way that befits what the business is already doing to express its growth and journey over time in other ways, in other areas, or maybe Perfect. even as a whole company. I, that's, that's my little stab. It's an, it's an element right, of a business. It's that maturity model, as you point out, where are you going to grow as a business in the next 12 months, 36 months, whatever? Well, how do you, how can you maintain or grow your security down that same path? So you're able to, to really prove that you can, you've got a, a place to go here. I think that's a, that's a key thing to be able for organizations to understand and, and I agree. Why hasn't our industry really embraced a CMM type model? Something. Uh, we've got we've got a dozen to choose from, and 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 that's where uh, I was calling up my dirty little secret. I don't I don't care which one. Pick one, anyone. It doesn't matter to me. I can affix it to the back end of CSF, and we're we're cooking with gas. We're off and running. Exactly. And if it's one that already works for you, that makes sense for you, that you've already articulated and expressed upstairs for other facets of your operation, great. We can we can keep expressing in the same way that the board is used to receiving. But now we're incorporating cyber into that model. So to me, Perfect. maturity is the secret overarching overlay over any framework <laughs> we choose, even if it's CISV8, who, you know, in theory has their three stages, IG1 through three, I'm still going to do the maturity answer there too. And so the first question I walk in the shop, I say, do you guys have a big four CMMI thing on a regular basis? No. You COBIT? ITIL? What? It, you know, and, and eventually you get a yes. <laughs> They'll have something that's maturity. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That's a, that's a great way to do it because it kind of helps people understand, uh, again, where they are, but also, you know, holds them accountable to, to what they need to get done. Yeah. It's not a surprise anywhere, but it's important. All right. So we're getting close to the end of the show. Um, I wanted to cover one last little bullet, which is supply chain. They call it out in specific now. Yeah. Yeah. That's been getting a lot of attention over the that last couple of years. That made me happy. Yeah. <laughs> one of the stickiest areas, right, that uh, organizations have. Um, you know, in the military – You'd have you build network enclaves to protect your core network or elements of your network, right? In in commercial space, you don't. Private sector, you don't, right? And everybody knows what happened with Target. I feel sorry for that HVAC guy, uh, but that was just a great example. Wait, ten years ago, of that risk that supply chain represents and how to secure it. Well, and um, I remember, I'm going way back now, literally twenty years ago. Uh, it was discovered that in the Cisco uh, supply chain world, uh, whoever the various VARs were that were signed up with the government, that bootleg Cisco cards were making it into Cisco switches. <laughs> and when they started digging deeper to find out who had received these bootleg cards, uh, Navy intelligence was on that list. FBI was on that list. Like, you know, so so even the ones who do the enclave <laughs> can still very much be affected yes, by can. supply chain was the yes, lesson there. Yep, absolutely. That's a really great point. And I think going through like, you know, different subcategories and implementation examples of just supply chain, uh, right? It's clearly going to require people or require. It's going to encourage people, I should say, um, to put together a supply chain risk management program that's that is you know, a core methodology, but, but foundationally unique to the organization, which means the strategy, the objectives, the policies to be able to have that oversight, uh, which is key, but then diving into the details, right? Establish a cross organizational mechanism that ensures alignment between functions that contribute to cybersecurity supply chain management. So there's a lot of different functions like IT, legal, human resource, engineering. It's going to focus people, give people the opportunity to focus on why is that important, right? You could take every one of these that are under governed 
and write something about it. Like I could, I could, I could do a podcast episode per, <laughs> per category. Exactly. And, and, and something you should consider quite some time that way. Um, that's fantastic. Well, listen, we've run a little long, but I think this topic was well worth the deeper exploration. Uh, Jeff Hancock, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your insights. Uh, thanks for sharing the, uh, you know, kind of lifting the covers and letting us see a little bit about how these whole CSF things get baked. Uh, any parting thoughts for my listeners? Um, no, I appreciate it. Alan. This is great. Uh, I appreciate you, what you do and the podcast is great because it really encourages folks. Um, I think if, if people are interested in contributing to this, I would still say, Go to the NIST website and look at what's missing on the framework. What should be added to this next iteration? Um, I think there's a lot of questions around, you know, cyber intelligence, proactive cyber operations and other things like that. So something to keep in mind. So I love that. Uh, let's get the community uh, rallied around it and, and moving forward. Like there's there's nothing worse than being the guy that had a chance to say something, didn't say something, <laughs> and then later goes, but it's not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Don't exactly. be that guy. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, listeners. Cool. I'll be good now.